Here's a question with a rather surprising answer. Why did Jesus use parables when He taught? The typical answer to that question goes something like this. Jesus used parables because He belonged to a simple agrarian society, so in order to communicate deep spiritual truths, He would use simple agrarian images to reach these simple agrarian people to whom He was teaching. After all, it is easier to remember a story than it is a concept or a principle or an idea. So stories are a good way of communicating abstract spiritual principles. Almost everything about that answer is wrong. (laughs) When we understand the parables of Jesus in that way, we end up turning them into something more like fables. Remember Aesop's fables? Simple, memorable stories designed to communicate abstract principles or ideas. But the parables of Jesus are not intended to communicate abstract principles or ideas. The parables of Jesus are more like clues or commentaries about the concrete presence and activity of the work of God in the world. That's one reason that parables are so subversive. They are not about a life in the abstract. They are about life in the midst of living, life in the midst of the messiness of today's world. And there's another reason that I think it's wrong to say that the parables of Jesus are simple stories designed to communicate spiritual concepts. Jesus himself told us that that's not what he was doing. If you look at page six of your service bulletin, you will notice that our gospel lesson omits several verses from Matthew's gospel. Our gospel lesson began at verse 1 of chapter 13, and it went up to verse 9, and then it jumped over verses 10 through 17 before picking up at verse 18. Those missing eight verses have some very important things to say about Jesus' use of parables. Here's what's in those missing verses. After Jesus is done speaking with the crowds, the disciples come to him privately and they say, hey, what's up with the parables? This was new. They had not seen him do this before, and they didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. So Jesus tells them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to the crowds it has not been given. For with them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, you will indeed listen, but you will never understand. You will indeed look, but you will never perceive, because your heart has grown dull and your ears are hard of hearing, and you have shut your eyes, so that you will not look with your eyes and hear with your ears and understand with your heart and turn, so that I may heal you. Now, we are way beyond Aesop's fables at that point. Jesus is saying that these simple little agrarian stories are actually a matter of life and death. This is not just a simple little morality tale designed to communicate a spiritual truth. This is a warning. There is something dangerous about the parables, and there is something dangerous about hearing a parable. Case in point, the parable of the sower. 
The meaning of this story seems pretty clear because Jesus tells us what the story is about. The seed on the path is the one who hears but doesn't understand. The seed amongst the rocks is the one who receives the word but has no endurance, and so on. Well and good. Why is Jesus telling this story? What does this story mean, not just in and of itself, but how does it fit within the wider context of Matthew's gospel? How does this story help us make sense of the larger story within which it's situated. Now, I had mentioned that the parables are often commentaries on the presence and activity of God in the world. What does this story tell us about what God is doing at this point in the ministry of Jesus? The biblical scholar Dale Allison has suggested that this parable marks a major shift in Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. The very first section of Matthew, we are introduced to Jesus, who he is, where he's from, why he's here. The next section of Matthew, we see Jesus at work. He teaches people about the law. He proclaims the kingdom of God. He heals people. He's going here. He's going there. He's doing this. He's doing that. Then he sends out his disciples to do the same work that he is doing. Do not go to the Gentiles, do not go to the Samaritans, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Heard that story just a few weeks ago. And now in today's gospel, we get a new section of Matthew, a new stage in the ministry of Jesus. And what is it that marks this shift to this new section or this new stage? Nobody is responding. Nobody gets it. Or rather, sometimes they do get it, but they're not terribly interested. Jesus is out beating the bushes, talking about the kingdom, preaching the word, and the response is pretty lackluster. The Pharisees accuse him of being in league with the devil. It is by the ruler of demons that this fellow casts out demons. The people are fickle. This guy's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Even John the Baptist is not sure. Are you the one, or are we to expect another? The parable of the sower is Jesus' answer to the response that he has received to his ministry. Some couldn't be bothered. Better things to do, more important things to do. Some heard, but did not understand. They were trying to figure Jesus out on their own terms, rather than let him explain himself. Some heard and got all excited, but then they immediately fell back when they realized what he was really asking. And some, not many, but a few, some responded and were faithful, and they brought forth the fruit of righteousness. In one case, 30, another 60, and another 100-fold. This parable is about how the people are responding to Jesus. It's a warning about just how easy it is for us to let all manner of things come between us and what God is doing in our lives. The Anglican bishop and biblical scholar Tom Wright once pointed out that one of the really interesting things about the parables of Jesus is that they are active stories. In other words, a parable does more than just relate a story. They draw those who are listening into the story. 
Parables create the conditions that are necessary for their own fulfillment. They describe their own effect. And we see this in the words that Jesus speaks at the end of the parable of the sower. Let anyone with ears listen. That's his way of saying, this message is for you. I am not talking to the person standing next to you. I'm not talking to the person standing behind you. I'm not talking to the person that you wish was here because they're the ones who really need to hear it. I'm talking to you. (laughs) And what does the parable ask us to do? Take a look at your life, says Jesus. Do you see the fruit of righteousness? Is there evidence in your life that the word of the kingdom has taken root in you and is producing a harvest? The parables of Jesus are not about abstract spiritual principles or ideas. They are commentaries about the concrete presence and activity of God at work in the world and in our lives. And the point that this parable makes is God is here now. What are you doing about it? God is calling to you. How are you responding? And we want to be just a little careful here because one of the ways that we are likely to misread this parable is to hear it as a call to work hard for our salvation. Take a look at your life, and if you see only a 30-fold harvest, you should work harder. Go for 60. If you see a 60-fold harvest, you should work harder. Go for 100. If you don't see any harvest, you should work harder and go for 30. I mean, come on, anybody can do 30, right? That interpretation overlooks one of the most important and one of the most subtle messages of the parable of the sower. God gives the growth. This is is where this really starts to get subversive. What is the primary characteristic that distinguishes the different types of soil that Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower? It's their receptivity. The soil on the path had no receptivity whatsoever, dry, hard-packed, no growth at all. The soil with the rocks and the thorns had a little receptivity, but not much room for sustained growth, too cluttered. Nutrients, minerals already spread out, too thin, no opportunity to take root. But the good soil, what is it that makes the good soil good. It's receptivity. It receives the seed. It takes the seed deep into itself. It nourishes the seed, and it waits. It waits for God to give the growth. It's not the soil that's growing, right? It's the seed planted in the soil. The only thing the soil does is provide the conditions that allow the seed to do what seeds do when you put them in soil. What the parable of the sower is calling us to is a life of receptivity, a life of trust, a life of openness, a life of patient obedience. We hear the word of the kingdom and we allow it to take root deep within us. We let it sink into us and implant itself in our hearts and in our minds. And then we wait. We don't force the seed to grow, we just wait. 
We take in the sun, we take in the rain, we take in all the things that contribute to the growth of the seed, and we are patient, and we trust that the one who began a good work in us will bring it to completion by bringing that seed to life and bringing forth a harvest. That's hard work. Being receptive is hard. Being patient is hard. We prefer to be active. We like the illusion of control that being active gives us. Being receptive, being patient, reminds us that we are not in control. Being patient and receptive subverts our ways of understanding and our ways of living. So we could say that our gospel lesson this morning gives us another perspective on what we heard Jesus say in last week's gospel. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my seed within your heart and learn from me, and you will find rest. Remember that? The path of wisdom, the path of openness and of trust and of receptivity, the path of faithfulness in response to what God is doing in the world here and now. That is what God was doing in Jesus, and that is what God is still doing through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, calling us and calling the whole world to a life that is marked by trust and by faith, to receive his word and to allow it to take root deep within us, and then to wait for God to give the growth. Don't sit back and do nothing. Do what you need to do to keep yourself open to God's word. Do what you need to do to keep yourself open to the guidance of the Spirit. For when we are receptive to his word, then we will find ourselves bringing forth the fruit of righteousness. So let everyone here with ears listen. Listen.